I'm Jordan Peoples in Marvel Sucks. I'm, Wait, no, I, that was not my that's not my intro. That is. Good afternoon. I'm Jordan <laughs> Peoples in Marvel Sucks. I'm Cade Weiberg and no it doesn't. Uh today uh we are going to maybe push that theory to the test. We have our very first Rotten Tomato MCU film to review. And before we get into the nitty-gritty, before we do our usual mm-hmm. deep dive for these movies, uh, and before Jordan gives his review like he typically does at the end, I gotta ask Jordan, one, do you think this movie is worse than Thor Dark World? And two, do you think it deserves a Rotten Tomato? Uh, n- no to both. Okay, fantastic. Uh, that's kind of what I thought. Uh, I would like to start... By giving yeah. my review first, unless you have any uh, anything you'd like to catch up on, it's been about a month since we last chatted. Uh, not really. I can't. Oh, the only thing uh, that I want to mention is a show I've been watching. Okay. Called Documental. Okay. Unfamiliar. It is like a. It's a Japanese show where they invite ten comedians in. Okay. And they lock them in a room for six hours, <laughs> and they're not allowed to laugh, and they're all trying to make each other laugh. <laughs> oh, so if they laugh, they get kicked out of the room? Yeah, but they have, like, three strikes. Okay. Um, wow. Typically. That's pr- it, but, but it gets so unhinged it, in a way that, like, American comedians would never commit to bits like this. Okay. This does seem like it would do well in an English-speaking country. Well, they, they've tried to recreate this in, like, Australia and a bunch of different countries. And it's, it's funny because it's an Amazon property. Okay. And so the Japanese version has, like, four and a half stars out of five. Okay. And then every Pretty other good. version has, like, two and a half stars. <laughs> because these comedians are willing to do, like, anything. Yeah. They go fucking nuts. I've seen Squid Game. I know how most of Asia handles... Uh, yeah. I, I did watch Squid Game after you mentioned it. Okay, yeah. How, what, what did you think of that? It was good. It was pretty much exactly what you said. Usually when yeah. something gets worldwide acclaim, it turns me off to it a little bit. Yeah. Uh, but it was good. It was pretty entertaining all the way through. Um, I liked the ending. I liked most of the characters. Uh, yeah, it was It was pretty much... I give it solid four out of five. It was... Yeah. Uh, no, that's... Good. that's I... I I agree with that assessment. Like it's like kind of over the top and, but in a way that's kind of refreshing. Yeah. Like there's a lot of like realistic TV right now. And sometimes I, I just don't care. Like I want it to be over the top and ridiculous yeah. and that kind of scratched that itch. Well, I, uh, I just don't it, understand. It was imaginative. There are nine saw movies out and I don't understand why those didn't succeed. And this is Netflix's biggest thing of all time. Well, I think these are funner than saw is. Have you seen saw? Uh, I have not seesawed. <laughs> uh, some of them are kind of campy and fun, especially if they age. Kind of like watching a uh, '80s slasher like Halloween or. I have seen the first Saw. Okay, see that one's like that not one's... fun at all. That one is gritty and yeah. low budget and an art film. Um, sorry if my brain is scrambled here, America. This is uh, the only time we could record this podcast uh, that accommodated both of our schedules. Yeah, and this is, it's the same day it's going up, so if you're listening to it on Friday, November uh, 5th. I am probably still as tired as I am when I recorded this a few hours ago. Uh, So, But it's the official release day, so I feel like we're pretty on top of getting this out there. This is great. This is back to to formula, back to the basics um, for us, which is always refreshing. 
Uh, and the only other plug I'm going to do, uh, though a lot of great movies have come out recently, uh, Dune was fantastic. And you got to watch it on the yeah. biggest screen possible. You can't watch it on TV. I don't know if I'm going to get there in time. You got to. That's all I can tell you. But I've, okay, so I've started the book okay. before, never finished the book. Yeah. Um, but I've, it's, it's one, like, I'm a pretty big science fiction reader. I've read, a, like, you know, the Foundation series yep. and, like, uh, I don't know, like, I, I had, like, several sci-fi short story collections. My dad had a bunch of sci-fi novels that I read growing up. Sure. And Dune has been one of those that's, like, on my list forever. Yeah. And I'd hate to see the movie before I actually read it. Uh, I I went into this completely blind to the franchise entirely. My favorite director. No, I believe I believe it'll still be good if I watch it that way. Yeah. I just don't want to spoil my book experience. Oh. Yeah. Is what I'm worried about. Not not worried about my movie going experience. Honestly, this movie going experience is if it means that you can watch it on the big screen, it is worth ruining your book experience. How long do you think I have? Uh, at my theater, live. at my theater, another two weeks. I don't know anything about your Atlanta, Georgia. Two weeks. Yeah. Aren't you about that's to go on an eight hour car ride today? Ah, uh, it's only four hours. Oh, well that's not enough to read Dune. No, but I do have it on audiobook. So, oh, uh, even better. That's like, it's like 20 hours. I can probably get that done within the next week or so. You got us again. Like I'm. My favorite director of all time is Denis Villeneuve, who is the director mm-hmm. of this. He did Blade Runner 2049 before this, which I believe we saw in theaters together. We did. And you ran from watching the first Blade Runner for the first time to show up to the movie on Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then before that, he did Arrival, which was fantastic. Sicario, Prisoners. Every movie he's done for me is a slam dunk, like unparalleled. And then all of a sudden, all these people are like, Dune is coming out. I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? This is a Denis Villeneuve movie, not a sci-fi movie. Um, so I went exclusively for his director skills, and I was super impressed. Working at a theater at a time where streaming simultaneously is still kind of plaguing the industry, the turnout to this was incredible. It was back Interesting. to... It was, especially since you can watch it at home, it's like enough people knew you have to watch it on the big screen... And it it was so satisfying to see. We had hundreds of people turn up opening night, still, like, breaking in on a Monday. Like, we'll get 60 patrons, which an average for something like that would be 20. Hmm. So it's it's doing great. We get the sequel, which is very exciting. Uh, the cast in this movie is perfect. Uh, every, I cannot recommend this movie enough. It might be my movie of the year until Spider-Man comes out. Interesting. Well, the other movie I've been interested in that I haven't gone to see is The Last Duel. Did you watch that? I did. Too that long. No, don't watch it. But is it even not even me? Because I feel like that's more my wheelhouse than it is in your wheelhouse. Did you like Gladiator? Mm, I only saw that like as a kid on like USA. This is like more political Gladiator. I don't, it's kind of like the Me Too movement in Gladiator, and my first qualm with this movie is Ridley Scott went up against Blade Runner 2049 and said, it's too long, I would have taken 30 minutes out of this movie. And that movie is yeah. the perfect length, it is the perfect movie. Uh, and then I watched this, I read that interview the day before I watched The Last Duel, and it, yeah. it is three people telling the same story three times. And it's basically huh. about um, the woman... Is it a Rashomon? 
uh, where they like they tell the same story from their own perspective yes, and it changes yes. each time. But okay. that's what I was expect. It is the same story told from three perspectives, and you're getting a little more of the story each time. Right. But the story is about uh, the main character's wife getting assaulted, and I was like, oh, this is going to be. That's Rashomon. Rashomon's about like a woman getting assaulted. Yeah, it's probably the same thing. I don't know what this Rashomon is, but it sounds like it's Kurosawa. Okay, sure. Uh, this movie did not One perform of the well at the box of office. <laughs> I figured it would be like a marketing reason, but I watched it. I mean, it's good. You do not need to see it in theaters. Yeah, it's just. I gave it a three and a half. It is just fine. I don't think I'll ever watch it again. I I don't just this whole movie like it was basically. I, I figured it would be like, oh, the woman got assaulted and the woman will tell the accurate portrayal of how she got assaulted and that will be the movie. But all three men like basically tell the same, or all, sorry, the other two stories are told from men's perspective and they both are like, we assaulted her. It was brutal. And like it does not even mellow out huh. like the assault story. So I'm hearing three of the same story essentially. I'm like, why... Like, she was right the whole time. Why are we hearing the other versions where they're just confirming she's right? That's not very interesting. Yeah. No, Rashomon is not like that. Rashomon is like each person gives, like, a slightly different slant. And you really don't – even at the end of the movie, you don't truly know what happens. Yeah. Um, but you have, like, all these different perspectives to go on. It's also an interesting movie because, like, you know how um, in the Grand Budapest Hotel, yes. the beginning of that movie is, like – this person's telling a story and this person's telling a story. And it's like, like the framing keeps changing, like the aspect ratio. Yeah. And it keeps going kind of like down into layers of people telling a story. This movie has this, that too, where it's like, it starts off, it's a guy mm-hmm. and he's telling a story that he just heard to someone. Yeah. And then in that story is the story of these people telling their versions of this event. Like Lu- so stories and stories. Like Louise in the adventures or in Ant-Man. There's an easy way to explain what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, now we got to get to the Eternals. Now let's talk Turkey. Uh, oh, also, Last Night in Soho was pretty good. Would recommend that. The new Edgar Wright movie. Oh, right. Yeah. It was fun. Oh, the, and the soundtrack is, it's all 60 songs. It's delightful. Oh, man. And the, the French Dispatch. Uh, yeah, I don't. I, I, I didn't like it. As I've mentioned on this podcast, I did not like Isle of Dogs. I'm not really a Wes Anderson fan unless he has a co-writer like Noah Baumbach or Owen Wilson to completely ground him. Otherwise, he uh-huh. gets into his weird fairy tale dollhouse uh, mindset. Wait, so did you see this? I did not. I was going to, and then my fr- my coworker came out, uh, friend coworker, uh, and he mentioned he's a Wes Anderson fan, and he came right. out of this saying. It was way too much Wes Anderson, and he compared it to an all-you-can-eat sushi buffet, where the quantity <laughs> is over quality, and you're having mm. some, you're having like this gourmet thing, but it is just a lot of it being thrown at you for ninety minutes. Yeah, no, I think that's probably a good comparison because Wes Anderson, I would say, uh, is rich and like the sense of something like a meal that is full of flavor but yes a lot of it is too much yes he should make like you know a marvel 90 minute movies yeah well i mean i love his early stuff again and noah bomback pretty much anything he does like i Mm -hmm. marriage story was great uh i just watched kicking and screaming which i highly recommend if you have not seen no yeah i haven't it's one of his first movies and it's about uh six uh guys 
getting out of college and they're all figuring out what to do with the rest of their life. And they're all just mm. kind of lazy, like don't know, don't have any perspectives and don't want to grow up. And an example, like at the very beginning of the movie, one of them breaks a glass in the kitchen and instead of sweeping it up, he just writes broken glass on a piece of paper and places it on the ground next to the glass, <laughs> which seems huh. like something we would have done. <laughs> yeah, I know. Six guys coming out of college. Yeah. Well, that sounds unfamiliar. <laughs> it's a, it's an experience most people are familiar with. Yeah. Um, all right, let's let's dig into Eternals. Um, I'm going to give my review, and then I will talk about my viewing experience. Uh, I rank this... I'm going to watch it again tonight, but I currently rank this at number 18 on my MCU list. And since we... Yeah, I'm pulling it up. I, I also have the re-rank pulled up, our, our document okay. called the re-rank. And I wrote out Eternals while I was waiting for you, but I didn't do much else. I did not include the date. Um, oh, you did it on the 10-8? On the re yeah, the, the, the re Yeah, okay. That makes sense. Um, so, number 18, it is behind Doctor Strange and in front of Age of Ultron. And I am going to give this 4.83 Avengers. 4.83? Yes. I do, Interesting. I do believe... This is something that I'm going to like as I rewatch it more and more. Both Black Widow and Chung Chi. I watched them once and I was like, those were fun. I don't know if I need to immediately watch them. As soon as I watched this, I wanted to watch it again and kind of examine. I don't, there's just so much about the characters. The characters are very rich. There's a, yeah. there's a lot going on here and I think the biggest qualm anyone can have with it to make it a rotten tomato is there is a lot going on. It is a lot of movie being thrown at you. Yeah. But it is a Marvel movie and I love throw more. Throw like throw it at me. Right. Do your thing. Uh, yeah, uh, so let's go through some of the beats, I guess. Uh yeah, let's let's start from the beginning. Um also I do also want to point out like this was rotten tomato from like five days ago. I've been watching this since the red carpet. Started at 71%, jumped up to 75, dropped all the way down to currently 51. Right, and that's not really going to change much now because all the critics have watched yeah, it. Yeah, it is pretty much in. But isn't What's the it, user, score, school, uh, user score doing? Uh, I've not checked the user score. But it's just kind I'm, of I'm shocking how... I don't know. this. I've never really liked Rotten Tomatoes for the sole purpose where something is cemented it like incredible hulk is a 68 percent. they need to do a re-rank baby just like we did we got to stay fresh yeah this so this says the audience score is 86 percent. i mean it's normally pretty high for a marvel movie yeah i do think this is going to be uh my the, the same friend co-worker uh described this as the mcu's first cult film which huh. i could totally see yeah um i, well, I Go ahead. One thing I just want to note yes. was like my audience, the audience that I watched it with, yeah. which was a pretty full house. Okay. Um, definitely did not feel as on board 
as a typical Marvel movie. Okay. Like, like especially during the beginning, I and I think part of it is because people have seen the reviews. Yeah. So they're a little skeptical of it. Like, yeah. if they'd gone in knowing that this was like a 90%, I think there are some slower moments where they would have been more engaged because they're like, I know this is all going to pay off. Yes. But since it had bad reviews, they were less confident about that. Mm-hmm. And I think some of the earlier emotional, slower stuff they didn't get on board with as much. This is really more than an MC. It's, it's more of a family drama than an MCU film, which I, I mean, I like, it's a breath of fresh air in a franchise with 25 movies in it or however yeah. many. Um, but I really, I don't know this, this pretty much worked all the way through. There were a couple things maybe I do differently, but we can break it down beat by beat. And, uh, explain and i just accidentally looked at your review i don't want you to reveal that to the end to spoil no 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 that that, i I just dragged it down oh okay thank god that was the score from above okay i thought that just spoiled everything no um that's just my shang chi score and also what i do want to know like what did you think going i just watched it with uh the other my coworkers. so i and it was very small it was like six of us and I want mm-hmm. to watch it with a big full house tonight, which is my plan and what I'm going to do. I, I will say, it's, I don't think it'll be as hype as you would hope it would be. Like, I just don't think people are responding to this movie in that way. Yeah. And partially because this does have action. Yeah. And I think the action's pretty good. Yes. Once you get to, like, the ending sequence. Oh, absolutely. I, I thought that was all very strong. Yeah. But as someone who doesn't like, like, action movies that much. Yeah. For me, I was almost surprised early on the lack of action. Not because I personally missed it. It's just normally MCU has more in it. And the only thing they seem to fight for most of this movie are the deviants. Yes. And I didn't find those fights that interesting. But we'll break those down more as we go to each one of them. Some of them I thought were better than others. Yes. But it just, I don't know. I The deviants I, I was, uh, we'll get to. Okay. I do like... When the Deviants start absorbing their powers, I think that's a pretty cool trope. And that makes you more frightened of a villain that can sort of be... It's kind of like the ultimate mirror matchup. Cause well, it's also kind of anime. Like, I feel yeah, like that's prop, a, a, sure. like a Dragon Ball Z or something. It's like, I absorb your power, and it's like, oh, how is he ever going to beat him? Because he just keeps getting more powerful. Or like uh, Siler or Peter Petrelli from Heroes, the hit NBC show. Also, this is jumping way ahead, and this is a spoiler, which obviously this is going to have a lot of spoilers, but um, at the end, she killed one of the deviants, yes. but we don't see that all the deviants are dead, right? Like, so some of the deviants are I think are it's still implied alive. that they're still alive, not yeah, all Yeah, only that leader is dead. Yeah, which okay, he, anyway. was the, he was the self-aware one. Like, he, in, in, right. he got intelligence, so he's a pretty dangerous one yeah. to get rid of. Um, also, you stayed for both pre- post-credit scenes? Of course. Okay. Those are very exciting, and I want to talk about them. Yeah. Um, but first, so it starts with the first MCU film to start with a, not title crawl, like the Star Wars, what is that called? Like the Yeah, it's a title crawl, isn't it? I guess. It's not really the title. It's, I didn't know if that's the technical terminology. Oh, oh. yeah, I don't know. Um, but, like, backstory to the people. Did you know anything about the Eternals going in? No, of course okay. not. <laughs> uh, what am I asking? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Stupid me. Um, <laughs> I, a uh, friend of the show, Joey Bunn, bought the graphic novel for me for my birthday. Uh, mm. And that was a year ago. 
And I was planning on reading all of it, and a week ago I realized, huh, I should really read this. And then I made it about... 51 weeks later. Yeah, I made it about halfway through. Still very good. But they did change a ton of the characters. Like, for, I think, more diversity. For the better. I think the strongest point of this movie is the diverse cast, and Mm -hmm. all of them are fun, complex characters. Like, maybe not necessarily fun personality-wise, but very entertaining to watch interact with each other yeah um and maybe that's people's one of the reasons people dislike it because it's a lot of characters it's kind of like you're meeting the adventures all at the same time without any backstory but yeah something this is some that was, this was easy for me to digest in that regard um so at the very beginning they mention uh the eternals show up 5000 bc uh Arishem is the celestial, like uh, I guess, related to ego from Guardians yeah. Two, which is the only other celestial we've really seen at this point. Man, uh, the visual of those guys—just the there's the giant space, yes, like mind warpingly large entities. Yeah, that was rendered so cool. Yes. The visuals in general in this movie were—I don't know—just like the scale of them was yeah. great. Yes, and also. Chloe Zhao is demands that they film on scene, um, on site, whatever. So they filmed mm. in four different countries that weren't America. They moved the first Marvel movie to leave Atlanta Studios or wherever they film in Atlanta, and they went all over the world to film these sequences. Huh. Um, Two hundred million dollar budget for this movie. Wow. I am hoping that they. That's like Avengers: Infinity War or Avengers One. Yeah. And obviously, when they planned on making this movie and maybe even finish filming it, there was not a pandemic going on. So they were expecting to make this money back regardless. But now, on top of mixed reviews, you have uh, slowly returning box office. And none of these movies are showing in China. For some reason, the Chinese government has put a stop on MCU movies for the near future. And there's not really... But that's like 25%, 20 to 25% of the box office, which is really going to hurt Disney. Um, I mean, not hurt Disney. They're doing okay money-wise. Yeah, but they'll survive. I do hope this doesn't change, like, I, I don't know, maybe it would inspire them to make cheaper, more low-budget movies, which would be kind of cool in a way, but also at the same time, I don't want them to not make any more Avengers or big, grand-scale movies. If you're going to make a $200 million art film, then, I don't know, I guess this is something you have to be prepared for. Uh, so the movie starts out 5,000 BC, uh, the Eternals have been hanging out, uh, for millennia, basically. They've known each other for 7,000 years, and they were sent to Earth to protect Earth from the Deviants. Mm -hmm. And then it starts out, it skips ahead, it goes back in time, and back, lots of flashbacks and flash-forwards, um, which I kind of like, like, I think a lot of people were complaining about that plot device, but I really, I wish that it went on a little longer where it would, they would be traveling to meet each other in present day and then it would flash back to the last time they were all together, kind of. Yeah. I really enjoyed that. I don't, I, just the, the trope of it. I, I enjoyed the time moving forward and back. Like, I thought that was fine. My only thing I didn't like is occasionally, and there's, there's really one instance where this, I felt like, kept happening is flashing back to Icarus and Cersei's romance. Okay. I think they did that, like, 
uh, two times too many. Okay. Like, there was a couple of times where we already established that they have a romance. And then they kind of, like, exchange a glance. And instead of just feeling like, okay, that's enough. We've called back. Like, everyone's thinking back to the last time we showed some scenes. Instead, they're actually like, no, let's go back and show you some more B-roll of them hanging out with villagers and being in love. I, it's like, like we know that. We saw that already. Why are you showing me this again? Like, this movie's long. You I, don't... I get it. <laughs> They're in love. Though, <laughs> though that does... I mean, it spoils the end a little bit, but the love is the single... The thing that saves humanity in the end. Uh, because once... I don't want to get into the just, final sequence. But you don't think we would have understood that as an audience without having another flashback to them in, you know... If it wasn't the main point... Of the climax of the movie, I would be fine to, you know, shave off a few scenes. But because that is the whole point and the love between these two characters essentially saves the planet Earth. But I still think I still think that would have been completely understood without putting flashback there. Like, I feel like in the original cut, they didn't have a flashback there. And then some executive was like, what if people don't know what this is about? Like, why he's crying right now? I... Yeah, I mean, I mean, I I understand that point, but the, I am totally fine with something like that as long as it ties together at the end. If it had nothing to do with the end of the movie, I would say yes. Way too many flashbacks specifically to their romance because there are a lot. But to I, me, that I just makes it like, full circle. Like that's the point of the movie is the two of them's relationship in a movie about relationships. That is the yeah. biggest one. And I don't know. There's just times where it's like it. it in this, in other ways, they did this with dialogue, where it's like sometimes people would exchange a look, like a knowing look, and you'd understand what was being communicated between them. Yeah. But then they'd also just say it. Okay. <laughs> and again, that's kind of like a trust the audience type of thing. Sure. Which maybe they're right not to trust the audience, given that the audience really did not like yeah. this film generally. Yeah. Or not the audience, but the critics didn't. The critics had a problem with it. And I wonder if any of this... Like, I I do, I feel like Chloe Zhao got a lot of creative control for this. Like, they're, yeah. they're slowly starting to trust their directors more. And obviously, Feige still has a hand in it, but I, it does seem like they, especially with all the properties Feige has to look over, he's got to, like, let these people just do their thing mm-hmm. at some point. So I do think uh, this... I don't know. I don't think much was changed. Like much was left to the cutting room floor. So I don't know if like anything could have been changed to appease critics or this is just a lot of story to be told. And Chloe Zhao like did it as good as, as well as she could. And so going to make a great film for some, but not for what I think is it could be shorter. That's my main criticism with it is that I think they could have cut out like 20 minutes of it. Sure. And you would have it would have filled in less details. Yeah, like there there's some exposition that they give you that it's like that's kind of interesting, but mm-hmm. it's also like I don't need that to serve the story. Like this is exposition, like that I could read on a Wikipedia page or something. Yeah, but I, I mean, if you're watching the movie, you want. But but I no, I'm saying give like, an I example need of it. that. Uh, it, so during that like sequence where uh. Uh, well, I don't know what was it. There, there's like a couple big explainy sequences where I guess like I'm thinking it's hard to think of specifics. I mean, I just saw the movie once last night, <laughs> um, but my 
because uh, the scene that I'm thinking of that's first popping into my head as a long explanatory sequence is the one where Cersei goes in Mace Ashram and he explains what's happening. Okay. And the, I think they do like you know a good job explaining of a lot of the things that are going on. Yeah. But I think I think some of those things you could have said with less detail, but still like. Uh, evoking the same kind of consequences yeah. and that also by saying a little less like it stays a little bit more mysterious like how the mechanism works mm -hmm. like like I don't know and like if if I could if we were if we were re-watching this movie together yes I could point to some, stu some stuff that as it was happening it's like like see you didn't need to say that like you could have said just the beginning part of that sentence yeah it would have had all of the meaning that you needed story-wise. You would have known a little bit less about like some mechanical stuff in the universe, but I just think that those things are generally less important, though I, interesting. I do think, and I don't know, I mean, Chloe Zhao, definitely, I'm glad she did this. Maybe since this introduces a huge chunk of the Marvel universe, and yeah. like I do wonder how much she kept in the movie just like so she understood it herself. I don't know how much of an Eternals fan she is, or comic books in general. Um, I think she did a great job with this source material, but uh, maybe if she like did the second one, kind of like Captain Marvel was set up um, by someone, kind of that's one of the first cosmic Marvel movies, right. uh, and you're kind of setting up a whole bunch of brand new characters, and I think those people did a great job setting it up. Uh, critically, that was also a little divisive, not as divisive as this. Yeah. Um, but they got a new director for the second one, um, the woman who directed... Candyman and or DaCosta, Nia DaCosta, yeah, Nia DaCosta, which I'm very excited for, and I think that's going to focus more on relationships now that the world has been built. Right. Um, um, so I do think with a movie like this where you're world building, you're going to have tropes like that that you have to deal with. Yeah, I do think you have to do more explaining in the first of any of these Marvel movies just yeah. because you do have to... Like, it's important to know what, like, a character's limits are so you can know when they're in danger. Like, this it's is, hard to know the stakes yeah, unless... For sure. But my... my, I think the my point, if I was to try to distill it into, like, a single thing, is that you... At some points, I think they were worried about losing the audience... Uh, the audience's, like, uh, understanding of how, like, the technical stuff. Yeah. But at the expense of making sure that the audience was on board, like intellectually with what was happening, is they lost the audience a little bit and emotionally what was happening. Mm. Like, like we're so we're so drowned out in like the mechanics of how this is working that we're losing on the mechanics of like yeah. how this is feeling for the characters in the story at this moment. And, and I, then they would do both, but I just think like the balance wasn't always perfect. And I, I I'm definitely being. Uh, most of my points so far have been negative, but I... <laughs> it's just mm. like the old days. Well, but the thing is, there's a lot of things that I do like about this movie. It's just that you're saying most of them, so I'm not going to... Like, it, this could be the Cool Agreement podcast, but... <laughs> As you know, fans, it's not. This is the yeah. guy who complains that there's a shield on the second tray of the cart <laughs> that Captain America <laughs> did, yeah. or chose over the one on the top display. Uh, I agree with that, but... That to me just makes me want to rewatch this more. And now, and you could also argue this needs the most exposition than any other movie before, because even with Iron Man and 
Incredible Hulk and Spider-Man. Everyone knows all these characters, so even, even if you go in completely blind, maybe you've just heard of Spider-Man, and you do need a little explainer, like, oh, he's a kid from Brooklyn. He has spider powers, and they just mention that in a sentence briefly. This, even mainstay comic book fans, I had no idea who these characters were before I read half of the graphic novel. So even, like, the MCU fans are going into this, like, who are the Eternals? I have no idea what this comic is. I don't read anything other than X-Men and Avengers comics. Uh, so I think if you were to bloat any MCU film with exposition and mechanical working stuff of a universe, this is the one that you have to do it. And maybe it would be better in two parts, or, I don't know, maybe you, you save the emotional movie for the second one, and you do an exposition action movie for the first one. It's a lot to jam into a movie about an origin story, about a race of beings that we've never heard of, never really met before. So, it, and if I was to design this movie... I think in a way that it would deliver best to audiences. And I don't know if this delivery mechanism even really exists anymore, but mm -hmm. it would kind of be like the Lord of the Rings movies. Yeah. It's like you have the Lord of the Rings theatrical cuts. Yes. That are like the more condensed or whatever. Yeah. But then if you want the more detail, you can go watch the extended edition that is four hours long. Yeah. This felt like it included some what I would call extended edition material into the theatrical yes. cut. Yeah. And while I like that material, I think it almost is like a second viewing material. Like yeah. there's some stuff in here that you don't need. Because the first time you watch the movie, the important part is the emotional arc. Like yeah. all the characters, that kind of stuff. Yeah. And it's less the mechanics of everything. Like... So it's like I want them to release a theatrical cut and then like when they release it on Disney Plus yeah. have like the full extended edition that you can walk watch alternatively. Yes. That has some of these details in it that I think are all good. Like that's my problem is like I actually like the details. I just don't necessarily want them yet. There's <laughs> there's a lot going on. That's why I think this is one of MCU's greatest rewatch. Like Maybe the best. Even the movies that I long to rewatch more are like Infinity War and Endgame, the ones that are all payoff for all the hard work. And that's not a rewatch because I missed any details. It's just they're incredibly fun to watch. This, I feel like, the attention to detail is so massive and there's so much stuff being thrown at you, you're bound to miss a lot. And I could watch this five times. Like, when I watched Black Widow, I did not feel the desire to rewatch that. That's I only watched that one time in theaters, which is the lowest yeah. since Ant Man and the Wasp of rewatch. I watched Shang Chi twice because that was fun. It was a fun yeah. rewatch. Even uh, Ellie leaving the theater though, she was like, "I don't know when I'm gonna ever watch Shang Chi again, but I'm definitely gonna. I want to rewatch this movie." Yeah, which is an interesting thing because like she's like you know an MCU like a normal MCU fan, which is yes. like. I'll watch pretty much the mo all the movies as they come out. Yeah. But, like, th this one got, got like, a I, I want to see this again so I can explore some of these. It's just, like, a different thing. I'm curious how the the fans are reacting to it. Like, obviously, that audience score was good. Yeah. Um, which is kind of the opposite of a um, Last Jedi. Yeah. It's definitely the, not going to be that divisive. <laughs> right. Which is interesting like i'm just curious if the fans are gonna try to save this one from the critical bomb that it is well like, last no, actually, jedi this is better last jedi was not that. critically divisive last jedi was an right. astonishing like 92 percent 
Yeah. Which I agree with. I loved. But the critics, well, that's what I'm saying. This is like a reverse situation yeah. where this is like I feel like the critics missed the mark a little bit on. I don't know. Like, see, because that like the Last Jedi. I think the fans. There were some parts that they had reasonable things that they complained about, but then they took those complaints and they made them the entire discussion. It's like yes. they, they threw the baby out with the bathwater. Like there's good stuff <laughs> in The Last Jedi. Like yeah. it's probably the best Star Wars movie of the, the newer trilogy. Absolutely. Um, no question. But they, they because like there were like four really strong nitpicks, they were like, let's get rid of everything. There's <laughs> the four nitpicks and I can't, nothing else is worth it because of that. This, I feel like the critics were like, ah, there's some stuff in here that's wrong. And then that just like tanked this thing's score. And yeah. now the fans are like, but actually there's like, overall, there's like a lot of interesting things in here. Yeah. So it's kind of the reverse scenario, which is maybe it's just like an expectations game. Yeah. Like the critics went in saying like, is this a good MCU film? And they're like, it's not like an MCU film, so it's bad. Yeah. I, Whereas maybe the fans are more tolerant. Well, it does know. does seem like the critics were like, we wanted an art film. We wanted an MCU film. And they kind of got both. And then they're complaining when each of the two things that they wanted are kind of stepping on the other thing's toes. Yeah. I'm just, this is, I've never, I since like 2017, I have been done with Rotten Tomatoes. It has wronged me so many times. Because it took me forever to figure out, it's just a thumbs up meter. It's you can yeah. have a totally okay movie, a very palatable, non offensive movie, and it can get a hundred percent, which makes me think, oh, a hundred percent. It must be as good as The Godfather or Logan, highbrow movies like those. But <laughs> I, it ended up not being. It, it Venom has a sixty percent. Venom Part Two has a sixty percent. It is a fresh tomato. Yeah. That is an atrocity. And now Incredible Hulk, Thor Dark World are ranked higher than this movie. This this design of a review site was built to fail eventually. And now yeah. I just can't I, I'm done. Letterboxed exclusively from now well, on. Well, I, I think the a better representation of the tomato meter would be like a, a set of scales uh-huh. and like I don't know. Cause they need to it, weight the tomato meter somehow. There needs to be a neutral tomato. Well, because my thing, though, is that not every movie is for every person. Like, there are some movies that appeal to a specific audience that most – that a lot of people won't like. But, like, maybe the person making the movie wasn't making the movie for everyone. Like, if you make yeah. a movie that isn't for everyone, then your tomato score is going to be bad. Yes. And that might make – that might mean that your movie is better to the people that you're aiming at. Yes. Like, because it has specific references. Like, I wouldn't say this movie is this, because this doesn't, like, but, like, you can imagine a movie that is, like, uh, aimed at a specific subculture. Sure. Like, uh, like maybe, like, like a, a, like, a demographic slice or whatever that isn't the general population. And it works with those people because it involves, like, specific cultural references that the other people aren't going to get. And so people don't like it because they just, they don't have enough understanding of what the movie's about. And a tomato meter type scoring system is going to handle that really poorly, even though the fact that it's divisive might not have any bearing on how how well it did what it set out to do. Yeah. I... Uh, yeah, I just see the Rotten Tomato and it just sends me into a blind rage. It doesn't... Yeah, we, I, I, I think I, you need a neutral tomato to kind of balance it out because I don't know if something is necessarily good or bad. It seems like a lot of people are just like, it was okay, and either giving it a rotten or fresh tomato based on okay. 
But I think yeah. you need a stagnant, neutral tomato. Like, I don't know what that would be. But you need something that doesn't hurt the score. Because it seems like if you're on the fence with this movie, you are either, or any movie for that matter, if you give it a 50%, you are still, one way or the other, ruining the tomato or improving the tomato. Which it seems like you should kind of abstain. Like uh, like Kingo did at the end of this movie. We should get back to the uh, the the plot walkthrough. Since we are at the very beginning title crawl. <laughs> well, uh, we've talked about a lot of we, stuff. We have. All right. Uh, present day, Cersei and Sprite live together in London. Um, and Icarus shows up. Oh, Cersei is dating Jon Snow. This was a fun... Did you like the Game of Thrones reunion? After they ruined that show for us? Uh... It, yeah, no, it was interesting seeing all these actors again, especially when there's a character named Cersei in the movie. Yeah, that was like a little was, confusing at first. Yeah, but. It, well, it's just weird seeing those characters talk about how they love Cersei. Yeah. <laughs> or those actors. Um, yeah, that was interesting. But they only face off once. They, they only meet one time, and it's, uh, I don't know, it's kind of, there's no Game of Thrones references. No. It would be, I don't know, cool if they like both pulled out swords or something. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, or or just some loving homage. Um, but the action starts off pretty immediately. Like a deviant shows up in London. Mm-hmm. And Icarus is shown to be kind of the Superman of the group. Like he's the strongest. He can fly. He's got a lot going for him, this guy. Yeah. The only thing I'd say about Icarus is from the very beginning, you know he's kind of bad. See, like, I, I did not pick up on that at all. And I was just like, oh, they made him a bad guy? <laughs> yeah. Like, I I did not... And then I liked his He's a arc. little bit like the Invincible guy. Yeah, I was just about to compare... Yeah, no, that that last sequence is very much Invincible. Like, yeah. he turns in... Like, they all fight each other. It's kind of like a... He's also like a Homelander from the boys. Right. Uh, kind of deal. Just not chaotic evil. Is that lawful evil? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, lawful evil. Because you you want you have some code that you're following. Yeah, but your pursuit of that code is yes. Which I I don't know. At first I was like, oh, I really liked him, and then it fleshed out his character more. That was the third act turn was kind of where I was like, oh, maybe this is why this movie got bad reviews. That was the first thing I was that kind of rubbed me the wrong way with this whole movie. Uh, but then it won me back as soon as that last action sequence broke out, which was fantastic. Um, so they, uh, apparently that deviant has a name. His name is Crow. I didn't think that they would have names. They all looked kind of similar. Yeah. No, it took um, me a while to realize like that we were dealing with a finite number of them. Yeah. The deviants. Um, uh, Ajak, they go see Ajak in North Dakota, I believe that's, or South Dakota, one of the Dakotas. Um, and Ajak is kind of dead. <laughs> uh, yeah. Like, um, they go visit and she's not, uh, I, they're trying to bring the band back together, which this movie has a lot of. There's a lot of reuniting the crew. It's about 90 minutes of this movie, just for the sole fact of Ersham is ending the world in seven days. Yeah. There, there's a well, celestial born. And I think that was an effort to to dole out how many people are getting introduced at any one time. Yeah. That, which, which was is, fairly successful. Yeah, I, I think that worked. Um, 
And Ajak gives Cersei the ability to communicate with Arishem, and Arishem, a little later on, after they pick up some more Eternals, uh, Arishem explains how the Earth is just an egg for a celestial to be born. That's what all these planets are, which is pretty interesting in the lore. Um, not something that everyone knows. Yeah. I certainly didn't know it. Nope. Um, and they have seven days before the whole point is to kill off the deviants so humanity can thrive and the celestial can grow with a lot of population on its planet. So you would think that these people would be strongly against Thanos uh, because he tried to get rid of half the population, which would make it much harder for these celestials to grow. Oh, um, yeah, you would. But... They also mentioned like they were instructed not to intervene during not non deviant activities, which is fine, and that's I buy that excuse. But also at the same time, it seems like Arishem would be like, "Huh, oh, this is gonna set us back a ways." If yeah, the entire this... universe has less intelligent life all of a sudden. Yeah, but maybe they got snapped. I that didn't really bother me at all. That was just something else I read. Um. For millions of years, the Celestials have been planting seeds. I already discussed that. Uh, and then Deviants got much better. They were supposed to just root out like the weaker humans, but then they became uh, apex predators and became slowly unstoppable. Um, so the Eternals were made to thin out the, the herd. <clears throat> um, and then they all... Who do you think was the most interesting, like, Eternal? Who Did you have a favorite? I mean, obviously, I have... Uh, I went in excited to see Kumail Nanjiani. Yes. And he definitely delivered what I was hoping he would deliver. Like, he's, like, a comic relief character. I think it's very interesting what they... Like that, they made him like that, like a Bollywood movie star. Yeah, like that's just a fun place to put in Eternal when you yes. need a hundred years to kill. Yep. Uh, but also Sprite, I like Sprite a lot because it's just yeah. interesting. And I guess she's going to be like a young Avenger now because now she's growing up. In the well, she got her powers revoked. But still, I feel like she. You think she's? Just, they're just going to be like, oh, you're gone now. I think she wants to be a normal kid in the comic. Um, she. Or he, I don't remember if it's, they swapped the gender in the movie. Um, but in the, the comic, uh, that Sprite is a child movie star and just becomes like super famous. And I don't think he or she knows about her powers in the comic book. And then that's the thing. The difference about the, the comic is they all forget, like they get brain wiped that they are eternal. So they've been living for thousands of years um, and then they get kind of reset every, like, life of a human into kind of like a reincarnation type thing. Um, mm. This did not do that. Although no. that's kind of, that's what I was thinking. They didn't interact with Thanos because their brains had been wiped and they forgot they were Eternals. Well, I thought that was what was happening, too. When, she, when it showed her taking a picture of the artifact that she created, I thought it was like, oh, look at that artifact. That's interesting. I don't know what that is. Yeah. And then when she went to the classroom and when she, there was the earthquake and the thing fell over. Yeah. And she turned it to dust. I yeah. was like, oh, did she just, like, reflexively yes. use some yeah. of her powers? Yeah. But then it was just like, nope, she does know that she's an Eternal. I was like, oh, yeah. okay. I guess that was kind of like a pump fake. Like, they wanted... Yeah. 
they wanted you to know. Which I don't know if there was anything in the movie that relied or anything in the story overall that relied on them knowing that they were Eternals. I would have just as easily bought, like in the comics, a brain wipe and then they they forgot that they were all powerful beings. Yeah. Um, which I think would be interesting, but maybe some some part of this movie I'm not thinking of. Well, it's, it's probably like they had that in the script, and then they realize it's like we got so much other stuff to explain. We don't have time to have the characters also figure out. Maybe you also there Cersei and uh, Icarus's relationship kind of hinges on them knowing that they've been in love this whole time. So maybe right. if they forgot about each other, that would be less. That would not drive the point home as much. Mm-hmm. Um, they'd just kind of be like, "Oh, you forgot about him for thousands of years, and now all of a sudden you care." That yeah. would kind of that would be bad. That would that would be a hole in the plot. Um, I also really liked Angelina Jolie. Is like her uh, dementia eternal powers. Like she can't control it. Like she remembers too much or whatever. And I really like that plot angle. It was interesting. I just. It's interesting they chose Angelina Jolie because I yeah. I kept alternating from feeling like she's like almost too big of a star, yeah, in this supporting role. Like it feels like she almost should be. It's just like having her and having, uh, who's Selma the who, Hayek? Yeah, Selma Hayek. Like yeah. I was just like, wow. Like they, like it seems like Angelina Jolie should have been that role just because she has like such cultural cachet as being such a big celebrity. So, so I I don't know, like a little early on, I was like trying to place like, where's her level in the crew? And then it just turns out like, she's just the best warrior of them. Yeah. And I was like, okay. But like for a little bit, I was just thinking is like, is she like second in command? What's the deal? Like how high rank, like she's just like kind of just cause that's something that Hollywood does normally is like, Mm -hmm. if they want you to immediately think that some character is important, they cast someone who's important. Yeah. Well, it was also interesting that she was one of the, like, only half of them lived, basically, by the end. I guess six out yeah. of ten, and one of them uh, turned mortal. So I guess it's really only, like, half of them survived, um, which is interesting. But I, I really thought that the one with dementia would not last till the end. Yeah. Um, no, I and I think they did a good job of making it so the ones that did survive were all the more complicated ones. Yes. In general, like like Druig or whatever, like he's yeah. not like the beloved character. Yeah. He has some complicated, interesting, you know, but he, he gets to survive. Yeah. Um, and she gets to survive even though her brain is on the fritz. Yeah. And um, who is the other guy who? Her, her ward or her protector, Gilgamesh. Gilgamesh. Yeah. Um, yeah, he was great. Uh, but he's just, they're like secluded in the desert. They go to Bollywood to pick up Kamal Nanjiani. They go to Australia. Are they living in like rundown Australia? Gilgamesh and... Uh, I don't remember where they were Angelina living. Some Jolie. remote deserty place. But yeah, they're like, I guess so she can't hurt anyone. Because she right. constantly... Freaks well, out and, and wants and to just, hurt people. <laughs> and so she's just less visible. So when she does freak out, there's not like an audience around. Yeah, that that as well. But they've all just been in hiding for so long. Um, as opposed to having their brains wiped and being in 
the normal day. The one thing I liked about that, the way they did that, is they didn't make it seem like it, it had been that long for them. Even though they hadn't seen each other in 100 yeah. years, it's like, well, we're 7,000 years old, so 100 yeah. years isn't actually that long. Like, we can yeah. fall right back into our old habits because yeah. it's, it's just been 100 just, years. It's basically just like a month or two. Yeah. Which is, yeah, a fun storytelling trope. Um, Druig, I think, I guess the next big plot point is they pick up Druig and the Deviants attack again. And this is one of the more fleshed out fight sequences, which I, yeah, it was, it was great. I love this, all of the, the civilians too, in the middle of, uh, um, the Amazon, they were in the Amazon rainforest, like Mm -hmm. Druig just had a population of people just, and I also like in the trailer and knowing his power, I figured he would just like make them slaves. But he was just, like, he wanted them to thrive. So he was just, like, among them. So they lived in a perfect utopia, which is kind of admirable. Yeah, except for, like, you know, they don't really have free will because they can't Yeah, no free will, sure. But, you know, there are worse ways to live. Yeah. Some people don't have free will and their life sucks. (laughs) No, his character was interesting. Just, like, the way he broke off from the original. uh, Yes. And that was one of the thing with the flashbacks. Angelina Jolie starts murdering them right around the time the uh, uh, Spanish colonizers come to Mexico. Yeah. And basically, the Eternals are walking in on the scene from the end of Apocalyptico. Yeah. Or Apocalypto. Apocalypto. No, I thought that was rendered very cool. Like, just the darkness and the flashing guns and stuff. Like, it looked... Again, like, I mean, the visuals across the entire movie yeah. looked great, but that was yes. just another instance where it's just very uh, cool. But they decide, much like the Beatles, to break up and mm. uh, go their separate ways. And eventually they do reunite, and that's a majority of this movie. Um, we also didn't talk about the very beginning, like, their, that showcases their powers in Babylon when the Deviant shows up. And they give humanity the... Uh, they bronze the dagger or whatever to make it um made of steel uh and then we also meet oh what did you think of the intro and then pink floyd's time playing at the end of the the marvel crawl i i liked the intro i did feel like the audience was a little bit like eh. like i don't I know i don't it. know what they i don't know what they expected but i again like i think part of the problem is people were going into this movie with the mixed reviews like did it, yeah. it made it so they were less on board by default yeah uh but tomato meter yeah now i i was i i thought that that sequence was good and yeah it kind of displayed all of their powers um and i think non-verbally i mean they did do some exposition for some of these but they did a pretty good nonverbal job of showing what each of their powers were. Yeah. Like differentiating them. Yeah, um, I guess I just I don't know why. I didn't like the deviants that much. I just didn't think they were that good of a thing. I, I don't know. It's like, almost as if I mean they, it's kind of like Civil War where the whole time you think you're going to the factory in Russia or wherever to deal with super soldiers but in reality you're going to deal with killing bucky barnes because you're iron man and he's murdered your parents the deviants are kind of just like a foil for this story that's getting told and then it ends up being absolutely not really having anything to do with them the villain is the celestial who wants earth to explode 
Well, and it also feels like once they both realized that they were pawns of this great master, yeah. I, I thought there was going to be a moment where they like had a moment of understanding, like, oh, we're actually on the same side of yeah. this. I that did didn't that, happen. That did not. They started fighting more. I yeah. did think that, but also at the same time, and I do want to go into detail with this last fight sequence because it's very spectacular. Um, but before we get Fastos shows up, and Fastos has quit the game after giving people the nuclear bomb. Yeah. So in 1945 or when? Well, he didn't give it to them. He just gave them some technology which led to them doing that, which caused him to lose his faith in humanity. Yes. Understandable. Um, Though I will say that, like, humans did a lot of atrocities that did not require nuclear bombs that could also make you lose faith. I don't think they did it on that big a scale, though, at that yeah. point. Well, I mean, well, like, the Holocaust had also happened at that point. Yeah, but... And did they didn't he... need a bomb to do that. They did need technology and, like, Technology, I think stuff. it's his big thing. Yeah. Like, obviously, the Holocaust is terrible and affected thousands and thousands of people. But, but... there would have been less good ruins for him to stand in for that. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> uh, it would have been way less photogenic in the in the scene where you realize he's done with humanity. Yeah. No, I mean, that is the pinnacle technological catastrophe. The, yeah. The mankind... And oof, yeah, uh, pretty wild. Um, so they meet Fastos, and basically their plan is, now that all of them are together, their plan is to use the hive mind or whatever. They all join their brains and basically are all, they put all of their powers into one eternal and make someone comparable to a god, which I think their original plan was to fight Arishem, maybe? Or just prevent the Celestial from coming out? Right, yeah, they just wanted to put him to sleep. Okay, that's So that right. he stayed, and, and they were, they were going to try to figure out how to either bring him out without destroying the Earth or something like that was what they said they were going to do. Yeah. Um, Which, though, again, I love the scale. Like, just the giant hand and fingers coming yeah. out of the ocean. And that's, that's such a cool visual. And I love that. that such, now that's like a permanent addition to Earth. Yeah. Like just this huge celestial. And I can't wait to see when that is next referenced in the MCU. This giant hand sticking out of the ocean. No, yeah. I wonder if there, there'll be people like uh, going to it just to like jump off of it to like yeah. angle it or something. Like yeah. I could see people doing something ridiculous like that. Like it's setting it up as a tourist destination. Yeah. In like one of the more fun Marvel movies. Yeah. It'll just be, and then it, now it's serious cause the world can explode. I bet Peter Parker will talk about it. Like, Oh, I want to go. Yeah. I mean, I guess do some they, fun nonsense. They with usually it. don't reference the movies until like two years after they out. And I guess that's so they know what to reference. Like that's what true. Sticks in yeah. case the movie doesn't land or whatever. Or um, delays in a weird yes. way. You don't want to reference to a movie before it Correct. happens. Correct. Kind of so, like, didn't we get that with... Uh, uh, it was the post-credits for Black Widow was supposed to introduce that yes. character, but they were in... Yes. Yeah. Which, the one thing that I think could have made that movie like, oh man, this is awesome, was kind of spoiled by her character being in Falcon Winter Soldier. Yeah. Like, that was supposed to be... It's the first Phase 4 movie, and it ends with... The same trope as the first phase one movie where a recruiter comes to recruit, but this time it's a team of villains instead of a team of heroes. Yeah. I love that, that mirror mirroring, uh, but I, it was spoiled by yeah. a winter soldier that 
again, just not not a lot going for Black Widow com- comparatively to the the rest of these movies. But again, it's Marvel. It's perfect. What am I complaining about? Um, do we have? And then it is revealed that uh, uh, Icarus is a villain the whole time, and he wants to do the will of the Celestial um, because they were put on this planet to um, help humanity survive and then kill them off just mm-hmm. so the celestial could be born. Although, but the like, celestial was going to make billions more lives possible. So yes. there was like some trade off. And it's also, I, I do think it's an interesting. So Salma Hayek's character had yeah. done this over and over and over, over the eons, yes. like farmed planets for yep. things. But her, the reason she stopped this time is because humans are super extra special. <laughs> right like that that's I, like the difference so what does that like, mean about other intelligent life like she was just like ah that's fine whatever they're not cool i feel like this was just something that had worn on her kind of like angelina jolie's character like it started to mess with her head the fact that they were doing this and she kept remembering like past planets they had done this for yeah um and that's what was kind of tearing her apart so i think ajak was also kind of like oh this is not good. It has never been good, and I'm getting too old for this shit. Like, I can't keep ruining lives. And, to her credit, humanity is extra special. Yeah, I mean, it is funny how, like, in the MCU, obviously yeah. all the stories are being told from the perspective of starting of, on Earth. Of, of but Earth, wow, yeah. the Earth is important for just being some random planet in the <laughs> galaxy. It's like, I mean, everything seems to hinge. Like, half of all the life in the universe was destroyed. And where was that undone? Earth. <laughs> oh, yeah. Big deal. Well, I mean, maybe that's why it's also such an important... Because she did mention that. Right, yeah. She, that was a big drive home in her speech. She's like, they single-handedly, this planet saved half the universe. Yeah. Which is pretty cool. And that is accurate. Tony Stark is the biggest deal. Like, Not totally single-handedly. Some Asgardians helped. Well, so. I mean, yeah. <laughs> but they all congregated on Earth. Yeah. They they came the party was brought brought to Earth, uh, and I guess that's just conveniently where the Avengers were formed, and that's because, and that's yeah. So Thor was there because of Jane Foster, and then really the rest of the OG lineup is all all on Earth. Hmm. Um, do we have anything to mention before this last fight sequence? Um, Fastos is living with his family. They pull him away. King goes Bollywood. Uh, they pull him away. The the sidekick, Kamel Nanjiani's sidekick was great. Oh yes, yes, yes. The the, the his entourage, his or whatever. Va- valet, his valet. Yeah, no, he was excellent. <laughs> yeah, great comic relief. And I didn't even notice him in the trailer. Like he's yeah. in the trailer. I figured like, oh, they must have removed his character. Um, and then I rewatched the trailer the other day, and I was like, oh. Like, he's clearly there. Yeah, there's enough other stuff going on in the trailer that you probably just, like... He didn't seem like he was going to be that big of a deal. But I just love it when he's, like, when they're arguing, like, should we save Earth or not? And he's like, I think we should, though I'm biased as I'm (laughs) a human. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Very good. He had a lot of good lines. Uh, Very good comic Like, I think... uh, I wish I could remember this line, but there was one line that I found to be, like, the funniest line in the entire movie. No one in my theater laughed. Oh, you can't remember it. And I was... Like, that was the only line I laughed at in the whole movie. I did, I mean, I was in a theater with six people, but there was a moment for me where I laughed out loud and no one else did. Yeah. So I wonder if it's the same one. Uh, I wish I could... What, do you know what time in the movie it happened? I would say it was about two-thirds of the way through. 
but it was just kind of one of those. I think some of my favorite lines are just like like understatements. Yeah. Uh, and it was kind of like that, like just like this dry observation understatement yes. that it cracks yes, me I, up. I'm pretty sure that's what mine was, but yeah. I also can't remember it. Yeah. That would be hilarious if it's the well, same. Well, you're thing. about to rewatch it, right? I am. So, so maybe I'll text you after this because I'll know what it is. Yeah. I'll text you at 10 o'clock. Or no, this movie's going to let out at like 1130. Yeah. Um, presumably you will be asleep. Probably. I'll be in central time though, so. Oh. So different. you'll be awake. I'll probably still be asleep, but <laughs> it'll be a different time that I'm asleep. It'll be as if I'm sleeping later or earlier. Okay. Later by Girl. your standards. Yes. Later by me. Um, so uh, the last fight sequence in this movie is one of my top MCU everything about it. Like my favorite things about these movies are, well, I mean the visuals obviously, but the character interaction. And mm -hmm. when you have like the reason I love Avengers so much is you get a lot of character personality interaction and then you get power interaction. You get to see, oh, what would happen if Thor struck Iron Man with lightning? Oh, his power hits 400% and then he can beat Thor. All this, this, and this was just a feast of that. Yeah. You get to see all their powers. Makari is a speedster and like holds her own. It was basically the Flash versus Icarus. Superman. Yeah, uh, it was amazing. I love this whole... And then you're like, how are you going to defeat Icarus? And then Fastos whips up like technology to hold him in place. That was great. Um, and Sprite does the illusions. I, oh, God. The end of this movie Sprite was just... Sprite is a little Loki. Yeah, very much so. Um, and apparently, I don't want to spoil the, the end, um, but uh, Black Knight, Kit Harrington will become Black Knight. And one of his powers in the comics is to see through illusions mm. so i'm very curious if him interacting with sprite previously like for the 50 years that they knew each other or whatever uh like if he learned to see through there that's gonna how they're gonna explain the lore and i would love to see that character interact with loki like he can't be tricked kind of deal um but this this end sequence and then i originally thought uh, so the celestial is coming out of the ground Icarus betrays the group and starts trying to kill them. Mm -hmm. uh, their ship crashes, and I don't think he successfully kills anyone, does he? Well, Gilgamesh dies. It's but... he's definitely willing to hurt them to slow stuff down. I do think he's not fully like I want to kill all of my friends. Like I think, yeah, even though he is uh, hell bent on doing the mission. Yeah. And I think he would kill one of them if he really, really had to. But yes. like even like Druig, who he, he does the most damage to, he really yeah. just tries to put him out of the fight. He doesn't yeah, really true. try to murder him. Very true. Um, how does Gilgamesh die again? Does Angelina Jolie kill him? No, no, or? no. His powers get sucked out by the... Oh, the Deviant kills yeah. him. That's right. That's right. Yes. Which was sad. Well, and that's when the Deviant really gained sentience. Yes. Which is interesting that he absorbed like a super strong guy, and that's when you get sentience, but... <laughs> well, um, I mean, all of them are very smart. They yeah. lived for thousands of years. But I do like how it kind of built up like him. And then Ajak. Yeah, you would think they get sentience after Ajak, but I guess... That happened too early in the movie for them to show that the deviants. Yeah, they I wanted mean, to show what the deviants were beforehand. Yeah, maybe it's just a cumulative thing. Like it, it was that they had two yeah. different souls. Is the really fact that they got it. two brains or whatever stocked mm -hmm. up in them. Um, so who? D 
dies in this. Icarus, well, Icarus yeah. flies into the sun, and I I'm think that would kill thinking, an Eternal. What? Yeah, I feel like that does not kill an Eternal. But oh, he's you don't like, think so? I, I mean, I'm just thinking he's kind of like Superman, and Superman gets stronger from the sun. So, well, I, but they also showed them getting injured by being like stabbed and stuff. So it's not yeah. like they're physically immune to damage. Yeah, and the in sun the comics, is quite hot. Yes, that is true. In the comic, um, uh, Makari, or not Makari, one of them is like trying to bring them all together. I don't remember who it was because they're all like white males in the comics, except for like two white women. Um, yeah, no, that that's definitely a. Uh, I'm glad they did those yeah. changes then because that would yes, have been a very absolutely. boring. It would have been very more of the same. Um, but one of that, like, he gets kidnapped by mobsters and his powers don't work because he's not in full eternal form like he's still in human form where he forgot he was an eternal and he just won't die like they throw him in a vat of acid and do all this comic book stuff to him yeah. and he can't die so that kind of made me think that they were more invincible hmm. even though the deviant does kill one of them well and cersei I, just stabs what's her name and it goes through her is it sprite yeah or sprite stabs cersei Sprite's, yeah sprite stabs cersei so maybe it's a magic dagger or something yeah i did seem like I mean, it, it's that was that the one that stayed seven thousand years, like the metal. I don't know. Yeah, magic dagger, whatever. Yeah. Um. Uh. So Gilgamesh dies pretty early on. I well earlier than everyone else, which I really liked him. Like I just liked how strong he was. Um, well, earlier was than cool. everyone except for Ajax. That's right. Ajax is the other one, and then Icarus also, and then there's seven left. But one of them becomes mortal. And then it's split into three and three in the post-credits. We will mm -hmm. get into that shortly. Um, so, yeah, I guess in the last fight sequence, no one really dies except for Icarus. Which is cool, because I guess if you're doing a family drama and trying to drive home the love point, it would have kind of negated that point where he's like, their love saved humanity if he had just murdered one of their mm -hmm. <laughs> co-eternals right before that. See, but, I see. I, I think it would have been reasonable... To show him flying toward the sun, but not, like, I, I don't know, like, and then him, like, right at the end, be like, no. Like, I am I'm still, going to do something else. Because, like. I'm still not convinced he died. I know. did not think, leaving that movie theater, he was dead. I figure something like, I mean, he's just a ball of, they're, all they are are just energy. And the sun is just so much energy. I it's kind of like Iron Man being struck by lightning. If he's truly repentant. And he's still a very powerful being. He should just go be a Superman kind of figure on some other planet. Just help people. Like, make amends that way. I don't think... No, I don't. I, I think he was completely compromised. Like, he couldn't succeed, successfully do his mission. And he couldn't kill his family. And he's just like, what do I... Have? I have no purpose anymore. Why not? And, and that's why you go to some other planet and you just come up with new purpose. I I guess. He seemed pretty butthurt about losing his... his 7,000 year purpose. That would also be a shame to work at something for 7,000 years. Well, then and you, could it is you could have him set up on like a Thanos style, like empty planet where he just broods for a while. Yeah. And yeah, I guess flying into space, but also, I mean, his name's Icarus. You got to show him flying too close to the sun. That's true. And I didn't even pick up on that until like this morning. It just clicked in my head when I woke <laughs> up. I'm like, Oh, Icarus flew into the sun. That's yeah. clever. Um, I, 
Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't think he's dead. I think an energy entity flew into an energy ball, and whatever comes out, like, maybe he'll just be twice as strong, and then he'll team up with some other cosmic level threats, and uh, that might be the next step in the MCU. Mm-hmm. Um, post-credits? So, the what? Want to talk post-credits? Or, well, first let's talk about the end of the film. Yeah. She stops the Eternal, but then... Yes. It is a stone uh, hand reaching out of the water permanently. And do you think Earth is off its axis a little? Like there's an extra week of yeah. cold or something? I mean, you got you almost, for this stuff, you just got to ignore the whatever <laughs> But I mean, they could reference that. Like, oh, like three movies from now, they're like, oh, I hate that there's an extra week in March now thanks to that Atur- or the <laughs> Celestial reaching its hand out. Uh, but, and then, and then after that, you have the reunion of Cersei and Jon Snow. Yes, which was lovely. And then he points out, I don't know if they're breaking up their relationship. I don't at think this they're point. breaking up. They're just like talking. And, and then yeah. he's like, I found out some family history or whatever. And then, interruption, there's a giant man in the sky. Yeah, which is pretty. And I love how all of Earth sees it and all of Earth like starts running away. Yeah. Like, that definitely sets the tone. Like, if you're trying to do up the stakes from Thanos. Yeah. A large face in the sky is definitely a good way to do that. Yeah. Show me looking what you got. Your, <laughs> looking at your marble of a planet. Yeah. Like, it's so menace. Even if he's not necessarily a menacing individual, he kind of is, but, you know, gray area. Yeah. Uh, well, it's more like the worry is, like, you're an ant looking at yes, someone. And it's like, exactly. even if they're not malicious, they might step on me. Yes, exactly. Because it means nothing to them. Which I really like. Again, like, gearing forward in a post-Thanos world, like, how do you keep upping the stakes? Without, like, being too over-the-top, like, uh, you know, like, immediately introducing another Thanos-level villain. Like, I thought this was this was brilliant. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he randomly summons all the three Eternals who stayed on Earth. So that's Kingo, Cersei, and Sprite stays behind because she's mortal. And... Who's the third? Uh, Selma High. Or no, uh, uh, Angelina Jolie. Yeah. They're all like grabbed by this god and just pulled from the planet, which was kind of interesting that they just fly into space. Yeah. Kind of like being abducted by aliens. Um, and then he mentions that he will return for Judgment Day or something along those lines. Well, he's going to search their memories to see if humans are worth saving. Like, cause he's okay. like, okay, you went through all the trouble of saving humans. Let's see if they're worth it. I'm going to search through your memories. If they're actually worth saving, then I will, I'll pass judgment and they'll live. But if they okay. don't, then I'm going to kill them, I guess. Okay. I missed that first half. Um, and then he takes them somewhere mysterious, somewhere yeah. on there. For judgment. Uh, for judgment. And, which, and the other three are like, well, we got to go save them. Yeah. They're not on which, earth anymore. That would be, I mean, I would for sure watch Eternals 2. Eternals versus Celestial, like, yeah. that would be pretty badass. It's like a heist movie where they sneak them out, like they try to break yeah. them out of jail. Oh, and this fucking all-powerful god. Although, I mean, Galactus is another instance of that, like, the MCU needs, well, in the future. He'll probably won't show up for ten years or whatever. So that's not Galactus? I thought this was just Galactus by a different name or something. No, no, no. Galactus is completely different. Okay. I don't... I don't think Galactus is associated with the Celestials at all. Or maybe... Well, no, because Galactus in the comics eats planets because he likes the taste of the baby... It's like eating an egg. Mm. Of eating the baby Celestial in it. Interesting. Um, But also that is like... 
So now that Earth doesn't have... And now that the, the, the baby is made of stone, maybe Galactus won't want to munch on Earth. Well, that'd be good. Yeah, that would be convenient for us podcasters. <laughs> um, All right, we got to talk post-credits now. Post-credits are massive. All right, so two weeks ago to the red carpet premiere, there was a leak that Harry Styles would play Thanos' brother, and then everyone was like, get rid of... You can't write about that. Like, Marvel lawyers were, or PR was like, you yeah. can't write about that. That's a spoiler. How dare you? Twitter was like, how dare they spoil those red carpet privileged bastards? I think... This was 100% intentional. Kevin Feige slipped some tabloid a five and yeah. was like, hey, I don't know how this movie is going to do. There's a lot going on. This is adventurous. I think it might be mixed. The red carpet premiere seemed okay, but I don't know. Let's tell a whole bunch of teenage girls Harry Styles is in this movie, and we will get asses in seats opening weekend. See, I had no idea that was coming. See, Because uh, they covered up the leak, but all the nerds like me immediately were like, oh, man, Harry Styles is in this? I'm going to tell all my friends who like Harry Styles. Yeah. And that's going to get them to see it. And Patton Oswalt was the voice of the little... Uh, yeah, yeah. Very fun. you call that thing. So you knew that was Harry Styles in it, or you... Well, didn't... Ellie knew that it was Harry Styles. Okay, I, I mean, you did I, not... You didn't know what Harry Styles looked like. No, I, I know. I knew him from Watermelon Sugar, What that song. <laughs> he played that on SNL. Yeah. And I thought that. I was okay. like, that's an okay song. Yeah, I mean, they, One Direction really started to be like the early Beatles, and before they did their Rubber Soul, they broke up. And well, it, you know, the one thing that the One Direction did, and I don't know how I feel about it, is the way they steal song intros. Like, it's like a little bit of nostalgia, and then we do our own thing. Like, like one of their songs starts with Summer Nights, like, dun, 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 dun. Dun, dun, I don't. Dun, dun. I don't think that was intentional. No, it is I intentional that... because they do it all the time. They have like five different songs that deliberately steal another song's intro, and then go on to be their own thing. And it's definitely to like tick like a little. It's almost like a the way that Kid Rock song uses "Sweet Home Alabama" yeah, and "Werewolves sampling. of London." I don't know. I feel like they're just, I, and I don't know if they're writing their own songs or it's just the pop. No, I, I think the pop gods are are constructing them for them, and they're like, "How do we how do we make it so people like this song immediately?" I know we'll just put a little bit of another song they like. You know who else did this? Oasis. Yeah. Like in well, uh, Shaker Maker. What do you no, mean? No, no. In uh, the Don't Look Back in Anger, Anger starts with Imagine. He does like a really? little ima- Imagine motif. Yeah, I don't know. I've never. It's definitely in a different key. It's the same rhythm. Well, and it's the same chord progression. It's 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 a C going to a F major seven. I never picked up on that. I've heard that song. I've heard both of those songs hundreds of times. It's I a never little would have imagine that. homage. I definitely got Summer Nights the first time I heard. I think that's what makes you beautiful. Is that song? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Uh, yeah. Honestly, like Made in the AM is a very very good. Listen to the song. Um, Temporary Fix. It is there. I saw her standing there. I love that song. Hmm. It is a slam dunk. Temporary Fix? Temporary Fix. It is a pop pop rock delight. I'll, I'll <clears> listen <throat> to this after. Yes. And then we will discuss your take on pem- Temporary Fix afterward. And Made in the AM has some pretty good songs. I think that's when they started to write a lot of them themselves. Hmm. And there are some dumb ones that aren't very good, but also there are a handful of really great songs. Hmm. I didn't know um, you were a One Direction fan. I I kind of like well in college, all of the like the film director when I first joined the film committee was 
it was just like there were a whole bunch of college girls and they all loved One Direction and we had the movie at Grafton, the theater. Um, and they one night like made me watch it mm-hmm. and I, against my will, I, I you know, at, at that time when we were first hanging out, I was exclusively listening to, you know, stained <laughs> in bands of that caliber. Yeah. Um, but, uh, I watched it and I was like, they're all very talented. They did, they were victims of the pop cog machine. Like they were just very talented individuals that had millions of dollars injected into them, which is kind of unfortunate, but great performers, great personalities. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously they, they thrived. Um, but ever since then, I've kind of been like, oh, this is basically just listening to the early Beatles. Yeah. And since then, I have driven, driven into their discography. Their last album is their best. And the fourth one is also pretty good. That was the one with Night Changes, which I know you've already listened to and I think you enjoy. So uh, Harry Styles is the John Lennon. Yeah, kind of, except he's way more, he's way more kind and loving. I mean, he does kind of that give peace a chance thing, but John Lennon was definitely like a damaged soul. Yeah. Like he had a rough childhood and was kind of But I don't think that plays now. I think if you're that kind of damaged, you hide it as much as possible. Like, I I I don't think people have the sympathy for someone who's as I don't, of all the information I have, I've read about Harry Styles, he, I mean, he's definitely... I, the the Beatles when they broke off like they ended up doing their they each were pretty successful mm-hmm. doing their own stuff whereas this uh, Harry Styles kind of Justin Timberlake it and yeah. now is like the only face of now, that it's like John band. Lennon and the Four Ringos <laughs> yeah essentially <laughs> but I mean I'm all of them are equally talent like I mean maybe Harry is slightly more talented I, he's, but I think he's definitely a, more charismatic. Yes, and I think a lot of it was right place, right time. Like, he lucked in, kind of like Justin Timberlake did. I don't think Justin Timberlake was any more special than the rest of his group. No. But more charismatic, for sure, and just media loved him. Um, but yes, Harry Styles is in the post-credits of this movie. <laughs> you should... Yeah, it's uh, weird that he's Thanos' brother. Yeah, they're both uh, titans. Why so isn't he, he purple? He's well. He's an eternal, so I think it could be like a Thor Loki situation. Okay. Where one of them is a blue frost giant yeah. who resembles a human form. Um, but Thanos, he mentioned something, and I totally forgot. I'm gonna watch it again tonight for more detail. Uh, something about because Thanos was off world when Titan died. Mm-hmm. I think like Thanos went to go start collecting Infinity Stones or waging war. Uh. And it also mentioned that it sounded like Enos was an Eternal at some point as well. Because he was kind of dressed like them. Eros? Eros, yes. I believe it's uh, Eros. Eros, not Enos. Yes, it is Eros. You're right. You're the Marvel expert. <laughs> um, and then whoever is... Patton Oswalt, his sidekick, is like a teleporter, which is kind of interesting. Like he can just make portals for people. He's also like drinking a pitcher of ale, which is funny. Well, he, I bet he's, he would get along with Grog and Thor. He's very, again, there's like very um, Roman mythology. Yeah, definitely. Um, I like Icarus. yeah, I'm curious. Any anyway, he he shows up uh, on their ship and is like, "I can take you to where Aramesh is keeping your friends. It's going to be a bumpy road." And I guess that sets up like a sequel. Yeah. Well, uh, this isn't an aside. Have you heard of the game Hades? No. 
It's like a, it's kind of like a roguelike. Have you played a game like that where like you die and you go over to the beginning and then you have to see how far you can get? Oh, you mean like Diablo hardcore mode? Maybe. I mean, it is, <laughs> Diablo is a good reference point because this is also like a 3D isometric game. Okay. Um, but it's like you're you're the son of Hades and you're trying to escape the underworld. Okay. Pretty. Anyway, cool. it has a lot of names similar to Icarus and Eros and stuff. Yeah, I mean, there is definitely Athena, not Athena. Yeah. Like, you can tell how humanity botched it over the years. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it's kind of, I like it. It's very cool. Um, anyway, that's a very the, good game. And it's probably pretty cheap on whatever PS5 store. Get Diablo. I've played Diablo. Diablo. I got the Diablo 2 remaster, and there's, I don't want to nerd out about that right now in a podcast where I'm already nerding out about a lot, like One Direction and yeah. Marvel. But Big Diablo uh, 2 fan, huh? Oh, man. Me and my roommate have gotten into the great. It's gonna. I'm getting for going for that platinum, and one of the platinum trophies is not only to get your character to level 99, which is like a World of Warcraft level 99 or level 60, yeah. whatever you you people get to. Uh, you have to do it on hardcore mode. So first, you need to get a character to level 99, and then you can play on hardcore. And then if you die on your way to 99, you have to start all over. That's pretty good. Yeah, <laughs> it's it is going to be a nightmare. Yeah. No, Hades is like, uh, like, so you go as far as you can, then you die, but you you get some resources as you go, so then you can mm-hmm. upgrade your character, and then you make another run for it. Okay. Um, so it's like you're tr- constantly trying to escape. Um, okay. That's like a whole genre yeah. of games that are, are similar to that. Escaping um, hell. Yeah. Um, all right, so my question is... Wait, we this... haven't... Did we talk... I guess we talked about... A little bit about him getting the Black Knight sword and then the voice of Blade behind him, right? That's who it is. Yes, you noticed that? I didn't know that it was Blade. I I was, uh, Ellie looked it up afterwards, but I was, I was like, that kind of, who did that sound like? It's like a little bit like Nick Fury, but I don't think it'd be Nick Fury. Who is that? Like, it's like such a low voice. And then I, so I was in the theater and I heard, I heard the voice and then it cut away and this was the shame watching it on Tuesday. Like, I don't have those... How do I find out what that voice was? I can't Google it. The, yeah. the source material isn't out yet. Um, but I turned to... Our, all my coworkers, like, got up and we were talking about the movie. I'm like, was that Blade? That sounded just like Maharshal Ali. They were like, ah, I don't know about yeah. that. That seems pretty far-fetched. Especially since he hasn't been in the universe yet. Uh, but I Googled it, and sure enough, it was Blade, and I was ecstatic that I called that. Yeah, I... So... Ellie looked it up, and then we just found an article that was like, "Here's four options that it could be," and it, it was like, "Like the Watcher," and I'm, and we're like, "That's not it." It's like yeah, Nick Fury. It's like probably not, even though that's like what He's I thought he sounded like. And then uh, I can't remember what the third one is, but it was another one. It was just like, "Oh, it was Kang," and I was like, "No, it's not Kang." It didn't sound like Kang. Uh, and Kang dealing with the Black Knight would be such a waste of his time. Right. Like, he's got bigger fish to fry. Yeah, and then, like and, Ant-Man and the Wasp. And the last option was Blade. We're like, oh, 100%. <laughs> no yeah. doubt that is who it was. Well, the one I read, like, confirmed it was his, like, voice. And then I Googled, apparently in comic lore, uh, let me see if I can find this, uh, Blade and Black Knight uh, and a couple other people are in... Uh, I'm not going to be able to find this now that I, now that I know what I'm looking for. Um, they're like in an Avengers, an espionage version of Avengers. Oh, and Captain Britain is one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm curious if they do like a TV show about this or if they just do a movie. But they're kind of like international 
spies from what I read. I don't have the material in front of me, so I could totally be butchering that, but they are their own separate team. Hmm. Black Knight and Blade are on a team. Interesting. With a whole bunch, which a, with a few other people, like more international people. It, it is interesting because the sword seems evil, but it doesn't seem like this character is necessarily going to be evil. I guess it's just like him so, being balanced against it. It, yes, that is in the comics. Uh, the sword has like a curse on it, where the more people you kill, the crazier the yielder of the wielder, yielder of the sword becomes, or wielder, wielder uh, with a W. It's interesting because in the book series Stormlight Archive, mm-hmm. there is a sword that's just like this. Oh, um, well, they probably got it from this comic that came out. I know years ago. Brandon Sanderson is the kind of nerd that would have known about this sword. So yeah. Um, but he's like a descendant of King Arthur and all that stuff. And dude, I want to see Blade teach Jon Snow about swordsmanship. That sounds amazing. Mm. So is Jon Snow going to be in the Blade movie? Like, how is this going to cross over? This is very exciting. Lots of big Marvel stuff. Um, my question to you is, is, do you have something you want to say? Well, I was just going to say, it is interesting how much this sets up given its reviews. Like people will, people need to see it. Yeah. And so the reviews well, hopefully won't hold that back too much. Well, that if this movie doesn't work as a movie, which I think it does, I think it works excellent as a stepping stone for Phase 4 of Marvel. Yeah. Which Shang-Chi and Black Widow did not really do much no. to differentiate that we're in a different phase. Those could have been tacked on to Phase 3. Yeah. But this now, we are in it. We are in the next phase of the MCU right. for sure. Undoubtedly. I, I think the reviews... So I'm just going to give my review now. I think the reviews... Oh, let, are, let me ask real okay. quick, real, real quick. Uh, so Shang-Chi, the post-credits is the Ten Rings are calling to a space power of some kind. Mm-hmm. Do you think they are calling to... Th- that has anything to do with wherever Aramesh has taken the Three Eternals. Do you think these are related post-credits? Huh. It's that's hard to say. I mean, they very well could be. I it is early on, but it does seem yeah like they're setting up something crazy happening in space. Well, it's interesting that it's ten rings, right? And that there's normally yeah. ten Eternals on a planet, and that we have yep. shown that those Eternals have in times past created ten rings. Like, are these yeah. are these the rings of Eternals that have been taken by this like special they could human? Be. Because in Shang-Chi, they, they mentioned, like, they're not from Earth. They did not come from Earth. They're from another planet. Yeah, so they could they're... be, like, maybe, like, a, like Gilgamesh or whatever once. Like, uh, is it the same ten Eternals who are being created? Like, or, or is it that their memories are being refreshed or whatever? But they're also robots, so there could be, like, yeah. multiple versions of them or whatever. I don't know. But it seems yeah. like maybe one time a group, one of the ten Eternals escaped one of these planets... Yeah. Set up camp on Earth, and that's where these Ten Rings came from. It could be Very something possible. like that. Who knows? I do kind of think that they are related. The Ten Rings and the Eternals are related somehow. Yeah. Because now moving forward, all these post-credit scenes are going to kind of... It seems like they're shifting towards something pretty big. Yeah. Which is exciting. Um, all right. Dying to hear your review. Let's hear it. Okay. So I am actually going to give this a four and a half. The, I, <laughs> when I put that in, that was not supposed to be my review, but I, okay. I, but it ended up being your, well, review. I was, I, I, I was kind of thinking it would be in that zone, but I, I hadn't yeah. decided where I was going to land between like four and 
maybe even 4.75. Sure. And I, as I was thinking, I just think four and a half is pretty good weight. It's interesting because it's a very different four and a half than Shang-Chi. Yes, like, very much Like so. they have the same ranking, but the, the way they scored their points is very different. Yes, um, totally agree. So I don't know. I liked it overall. I thought it had some really strong stuff in it, but there was also some stuff that I felt was not like clumsy, but I don't know. It's just like, like I said earlier, there was some like times where they, they chose intellectual continuity over like emotional continuity. And I don't know if that's yeah. necessarily the right decision to make. It's a lot to shove into a movie. And I think if it has any faults, it's just that it's trying to tell as big a story. I think your Lord of the Rings metaphor really nailed it. Yeah. Uh, it's got it extended is, it edition feel, elements in it. <laughs> it's feel like you're watching an extended edition before you watch the full one. Yeah. Which who doesn't love the extended edition of Lord of the Rings? Yeah. But you like it better second. <laughs> I mean, sure. Yeah. But that's why I think I'm going to love this on rewatch. And it's currently at 18. Um, it's behind Doctor Strange. I could totally see myself liking this more uh, the more I watch it. And especially if these characters go on to do great things and this is like their jumping off point. So for me, this four and a half puts it at in tied with there's five movies I have now at four and a half. Okay. So and, and that is... means so it spans my 10 to 14 ranking. Okay, ten to fourteen. So it's so this rated is higher middle than middle of the road. That's very high. Yeah, that's that's interesting. Yeah, that's so you. But I would probably put it well, on the like if I was to try to differentiate those, even though they don't have different yeah. scores. This is this wouldn't be number ten for me. I think it would be like fourteen. Or yeah, 13 or 14. I, on the lower. I, I, I'm not ranked the four and a halfs, uh, but yeah, I don't <laughs> I think it's it the all. highest one. I got it all in my my letterbox ranking list. Yeah. And also, right after we had that re-rank episode, I rewatched Winter Soldier and I was like, damn it, I love this movie and I put it above Thor Ragnarok. Wow. So already the re-rank is until I watch Thor Ragnarok again and I change my mind. Well, 2023 people can expect a new re-rank and it will yes. include that insight. Every 2 years. Um oh man, yeah, what a movie. Excited to watch it again tonight. Um so I guess you technically did not like this more than me. It's it because even though you ranked it higher, your rankings are just lower. Right. Because I gave it a four point eight three. So I still slightly liked it more than you. Yeah. And Thor: The Dark World is the only one that you enjoy more than I do. Yes. That's canon. It took us ninety six something episodes <laughs> to get Jordan to like a movie more than me. Yeah. And here we are. All right. Well, that wraps it up for us. I've been Jordan Peoples, and Marvel has sucked. I've been Cade Weiberg. Stick around for uh, Hawkeye coming out in three Mm. weeks with the uh, two-episode premiere. We will be doing it in full detail. Uh, Bye. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I'm hitting stop.